0: What's up guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. I'm your host Gavin J. Galher, and on this podcast I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously both in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset and behavior, to take control of your thoughts, your emotions and most importantly your ego. Welcome to the show. What's up guys, welcome back to another episode, and it's been a pretty eventful week here in Dublin. Most of you will know exactly what I'm talking about, but I guess there's the odd international listener who may not be aware of the events of last Thursday. Now, I'm gonna go into those events and my thoughts about them today, but I'm also gonna be talking about some notable news stories that I've come across in the last week or so, and these news stories are kind of what I would consider to be maybe red flags towards some trouble ahead in terms of the economy and in particular the property market and so we're going to get into some of that today and um, I'll I'll begin by saying that Thursday the 23rd which is the day of all of these events was actually the day of my father's 30th anniversary since the night that he died uh, in Dublin and it it's, it was a pretty eventful and impact, impactful day just leaving aside all of the news stories but actually you wake up uh, 30 years since your dad died and there's you know you have quite a lot of feelings about it and' it's, it's kind of a it's an impactful moment because first of all, I am now six years older than my father ever lived and um, he, he died at the age of 45. I'm now 51 and that alone is a kind of a i guess it's kind of a poignant moment when you realize that you're now older than your dad and you're, you're you know your dad who you looked upon as a kind of figure of wisdom and experience and stuff i now have 6 years more experience than he ever had and so it is kind of an an interesting moment and so i was i went down and i visited my dad's grave and i was you know reflecting on 30 years it's kind of in crazy thought i've spent the last 30 years figuring shit out you know building experience making mistakes you know having some successes as well obviously but you've got this big kind of list of accomplishments and challenges and all of the things that kind of have happened in a, the space of 30 years and that's a lot of experience and it's experience that my dad didn't get to share any of it and so I kind of think about my own impact on my own kids and I think about all that so obviously kind of a moving moment and I was actually going to do a whole episode on this and I was going to go into more detail perhaps I'll do it at a later date Um, but really what I you know I was going to go into the next 30 years like what do I want the next 30 years to stand for and while I was in the middle of kind of thinking about all this stuff, the events of Thursday took center stage. So today's episode is more about the events than my poor old late father. Seamus Gallagher was his name and he was my hero, but we're gonna be talking about some other heroes today on this. Now, I'm sure every one of you knows what's happened in the last week, but if you're not aware, I'm just gonna reiterate you know, some of the events um, perhaps some of you international listeners are unaware or you didn't hear much about it, so you don't really know. But it's a very scary set of, set of events that took place last week uh, for two separate reasons. And the first one is there was at lunchtime, just after the schools finished. This is for the very young schools, you know, the kind of play schools and crash and things like that. Um, they, there was a bunch of kids standing outside this school on Parnell Street. It's called Gailskull Kalashta Muir. And these little group of kiddies, basically, and I have a three-year-old and a seven-year-old, so, you know, this age is very, you know, I'm very aware of this age group. And this, what can only be described as a deranged lunatic, walked up to them and basically started randomly attacking these kids with a knife. And he managed to go and stab three children before passers-by intervened and tried to prevent it. But in that time, he stabbed a little five-year-old girl. Now, five years old, like the, the, the picture of innocence. And like, I have a seven-year-old now. It's not long ago she was five. And like, it just, I cannot imagine this attack that took place. And anyway, this poor little girl is in a very serious condition in hospital. She got stabbed multiple times by this lunatic. And she, by all accounts, they were giving her CPR on the street, uh, trying to keep her alive because she lost so much blood and things like that. I mean, it's absolutely horrendous. And for me, it's like when you have kids, this is hits hard really really hard now thankfully the two other children one of them was six years of age and one of them was five years and they got stabbed as well but it wasn't as serious but this poor little girl was the center of the attack and she got stabbed multiple times and she's really really sick so like my heart goes out to her her family I'm just like I've been profoundly impacted by this event. And it's primarily because like I have five kids of my own and I can just imagine what I would feel if this happened to one of my kids. Like that evening, I could not sleep thinking about the events of the day. And like tiny, innocent kids, it's just, it's it's hard to imagine. And the, the worst thing about it is my wife was actually in the city. Um, she was in doing a couple of bits and pieces. Uh, just beside Parnell Street and where the attack took place and she left just 30 minutes before the attack took place so she's a bit shaken up by it as well and um, I got to talk about like let's leave aside for a moment the children and the terrible thing that's happened but I we have to talk about these heroes that jumped in to assist now you kind of think to yourself these innocent little kids getting attacked like who wouldn't step in But if a guy is wielding a big knife, you know, there will be people who will look at that and will hesitate. There'll be other people that won't even hesitate, won't even bat an eyelid, they're just straight in to prevent it. And the first person on the scene was a 30 year old crash teacher, probably working in the same school. I don't know a lot of details because a lot of this isn't public yet. But she was stabbed multiple times in the process of trying to protect the children. And um, so she's in hospital, Uh, her condition is reported as very serious but stable, which is better than the critical condition the little girl is in. Also another man jumped in, he's in his 40s and he was also received multiple injuries and so he is stable, serious but stable as well. And there was two other guys who are heroes. Um, One 17 year old trainee chef from France, so this young guy jumped into the middle of it and got involved in protecting and pushing the um, the bad, you know, the lunatic away, and also a forty-three-year-old Brazilian. I think he was a delivery driver, uh, so he goes around on his bicycle or on a bike or whatever. He jumped in and he managed to knock this guy out or down with his bicycle helmet, and so or his bike helmet, like all of these guys if it wasn't for them like you just don't know who else would have been hit like there was a multiple children standing around so this could have been multiple children uh rather than just three um in serious condition if not worse and so i mean it's just it's beyond belief that this took place and thank you you know we i think we as a person with a platform here this podcast you know we have an audience you guys are listening like what can we do to help recognize these people and what can we do to support the children and in particular that little girl like that little girl is in critical condition like I'm praying that she will survive because that is not a given at this moment in time but if she does survive she is going to need therapy she is going to need mental and physical therapy for many many years I imagine because of like a five-year-old girl like this trauma is just going to you know scar her if we're not careful and so I'm going to be launching a fundraiser for this like if you want to support the fundraiser you know send me a message let me know but I really want to do something for the kids and I really want to do something for the to recognize the bravery of the people who jumped in and got involved and like put themselves in harm's way in order to protect the kids. I'm thinking of doing some sort of, I don't know, I don't really know, but I'm thinking like some sort of an award for them just so that they get recognized because, you know, you, you hope that you would react in the same way, but you just don't know. I mean, in over the years, I've seen things like fights breaking out outside of a nightclub and things like that. And you kind of, Sometimes you might think, "Oh, I think I'll steer clear of that." Like, some people don't think like that. They kind of jump into the middle of it, and they try to break it up. And in the process, one of my school friends, um, I haven't talked about this ever before, but one of my school friends, a guy called Simon Barrett, I went to school with Simon, and he was he was a bit of a crazy kid, and I kind of used to hold him responsible. For getting me held back a year because he was such a distraction and such a messer but simon was i think he was traveling doing kind of a year in australia or whatever when he was around 19 or 20 i can't remember exactly what age he was but a fight broke out outside of a nightclub and he ran over to break up the fight and he didn't realize that one of the people in the fight had a knife and They stabbed him in the heart and he died there and then of his injuries. And so when you hear things like that, it might make you think twice, but I think with little children involved, you know, anybody would jump in to save them. But just these guys, I think they need to be recognized in some way. And I'm sure they will be, but I feel so profoundly impacted by this that I want to do something for them myself. I want to actually be responsible for fundraising and i want to be responsible for finding some way to recognize them now the events of the day they were dreadful they were like it's bad enough that you have to actually acknowledge that something as bad as and horrific as that took place but what happened next is just beyond belief and it is the as i think they're being described as the lunatic fringe or the hooligan fringe but a huge crowd of inner city i think i I mean i don't even know nobody really knows their all of their identities but a ton of people headed into town with hoods over the you know disguising their faces and stuff and decided to riot and basically what they were doing from what we've heard they were attacking the city as a way to protest against the fact that the guy that the lunatic that stabbed these children was an immigrant he was by all accounts he was from some part of africa and these guys decided let's use that as an excuse to go and ransack and destroy and loot and burn out the city and it's absolutely i mean if you guys go on social media i'm sure you've seen a lot of the images and stuff like that but It was, we have friends in the city uh, that live in the city. And I had um, one of my friends, his son was graduating from Trinity College and it was his night out, you know, to enjoy. That was all canceled. The kids that were in Trinity, they couldn't leave Trinity because it was too dangerous to go out. And so they had to stay the night in the the college and things like that. Absolute chaos. These looters, they, they broke open tons of shops uh, funny enough, they were all sports shops that sell tracksuits and runners and things like that. So, you know, it says a lot. But these guys went, set fire to buses, set fire to the Lewis tram line. They set fire to cars. They actually attacked the police cars and burnt out the police cars. They attacked the policemen. It like, it looked like a war zone. We've all become accustomed to seeing the images from uh, Ukraine and, and all of this kind of stuff. But to see the, your own city, your own capital city being burnt out like, and the shops being looted, you know, hooligans jumping on the top of cars that are police cars and things like that. It's just absolutely crazy. And it's scary. It's scary to think that these people, that's all the excuse they needed to go on this rampage. And all... Because they have some sort of a uh, an objection to immigrants and the and the policy of allowing immigrants into this country. Now, who were two of those heroes I mentioned already? Seventeen-year-old Frenchman and a forty-three-year-old Brazilian man, both immigrants, both heroes in the process of saving those children from the attacker. Nobody's, you know, those rioters they're complaining about immigrants and yet two of the four were immigrants themselves. And this is the irony of the thing. The, the damage to the city of Dublin is profound. And I don't mean in terms of the physical damage. What I mean, you know, the cars and buses and all that, they can be replaced. They were like washing down the streets and you know cleaning up the burn marks and all that the next day. I'm talking about the reputation of the city. I'm talking like, the news that went out covering these events was a global news event. It was on CNN, Sky News, BBC News, like all of the big broadcasters were covering these events. And they were calling it the far right, as in, you know, in America, you've got the far right. This was the Irish far right. It was not the Irish far right. This was a bunch of crazed lunatics that were, you know, like you see the the football hooligans that arrive into football, international football contests, and start wrecking the place. That's the kind of people we're talking about. We're not talking about a political right, although you know it it, it they may have right-wing views. I don't think it does any justice to call them right, you know, the, the the far right. Think about the damage that they have done to our city in terms of the tourism, the visitors that visit. The you know the shops the transport all of the damage all of the cleanup that has to be done. Think about the people that are were thinking of coming to Ireland for Christmas and have decided. Mm, you know what I think we'll stay home. Think about the amount of uh, American visitors that come in and uh, that are critical for our economy because they fly in and when they fly in they spend money in our shops in our businesses restaurants hotels all that our city needs. This, these travelers, these foreigners that are coming in. And when they see these kind of news headlines, they are just going to say, you know what, let's just give it a miss this year. Maybe we'll do it next year if things cool off. But it is going to damage the reputation of both our city and our country. And like, what is going on at the moment? Like, I, I just seem, there seems to be this polarization on all sides. If you look at, you know just following politics in general any any type of politics whether, whether it's the us whether it's the netherlands whether it's hungary whether it's the uk like all of these countries they seem to have this left versus right thing happening at the moment and positions are hardening and nobody seems capable any longer of having a polite sort of debate on issues like if I disagree with you, does that mean I am your enemy and that you need to like destroy me? No, but it seems to be the way people are hardening their positions. Like all you have to do is watch the US presidential election stuff with Donald Trump and stuff like that. It's absolutely crazy. You just have to look at what's going on between Russia and Ukraine at the moment. Look at what's happening in the Middle East at the moment. Like where does it all end? This is a the concern that I have. It seems to me that the further we get away from the memories of World War I and World War II, like anybody that survived World War I or World War II, they're dead now, or very few of them remain. And so those memories are critical towards keeping some sort of stability. And the more comfortable we get in our society, uh, it seems the more hardened that we get in our political views. Whereas if you had experienced World War I or World War II and you saw 17 and 18 year olds being sent off to battle and losing arms and legs, if they're lucky, coming home with, you know, a, a limb missing or something like that or deranged from, you know, shell shock or whatever it was. Like 70 million people died in World War II. 70 million people think about that that's the entire population of the uk uh, every single one of them wiped out and that would be the pop you know that is the result of world war ii plus I cities all over europe destroyed leveled flattened so you kind of think to yourself you can see why after that people kind of, wo- you know, were, were grateful for what they had. They were grateful for the way things were. It wasn't so, there wasn't such division as there is now. So I just feel that this, you know, you've got to, this, like this goes beyond political views and stuff, this is down to your mindset. Like, are you a person that reacts instantly to anger or are you, are you a person who is conscious enough of their thoughts to control the situation. If somebody does something to you that is you know, rude or offensive or anything like that, do you go off, fly off the handle? Do you like instantly respond and attack back? Or can you control yourself? Can you actually think to yourself, you know what, who knows what's going on with this person, but like clearly that's an offensive term, but do I have to respond and get angry to that term? Perhaps not. Anyway, let's get into some other news, and, and this other news is about the, the economy and some red flags that I'm seeing that we need to talk about. Now, before we do, I thought I'd mention today, I'm actually, I'm working on restoring the Monday uh, upload of this podcast, and I'm recording this Sunday the 26th of November, and uh, the idea is this will be, you'll be listening to this tomorrow morning, Monday. At the 5 a.m. upload time that I that I used to have, the purpose of that is just to try to get back on track. I've done a number of interviews in the last couple of days, and so we now have quite a few people in the uh, in the can, as we like to say. So you're going to have interviews, but you're also going to have you know the monologues that I give like this um, coming up. Anyway, let's get onto the 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 news, the other news, and. Mm-hmm. It's it's really kind of shocking to have read it in the last couple of days, but I saw a the newspaper headline that Johnny Ronan, Johnny Ronan has had his company uh, put into receivership by AIB and Bank of Ireland. Now, Johnny Ronan, to those of you who are unaware of his name, if you're an Irish property person or like my age, you absolutely know who this is. This was one of the biggest property developers of the last, you know, 50 years. Uh, he's now 70 in the next couple of days. He's, you know, he's, he's turning 70 years of age. He has a portfolio worth 130 million. And it includes the historic Bewley's Cafe on Grafton Street, uh, which, you know, one of his most prized possessions. And he owns lots of other buildings around, like there's the treasury building on uh, Canal, Grand Canal Street and he, he owns various other properties around the place but he was one of the big ones. He used to run a company called Treasury Holdings with another man called Richard Barrett and the two of them were a formidable force and they created massive massive deals and back in the early 2000s they were one of the biggest names. I remember Johnny Ronan I I know Johnny I well I've met him multiple times but I wouldn't say he'd know exactly who I am but we were chatting at one stage and he used to drive around in a in a Maybach and um it used to be quite funny seeing this Maybach trying to find a parking space on a narrow street he also had a Hummer, one of the big American Hummers that are, you know, they're about eight feet wide, so they could barely fit down most uh, narrow lanes in Dublin. So f- quite a flamboyant guy and uh, really, really well known for the office sector. And that's why I know him is because because I'm in the office sector myself. He would be a guy that had a real reputation for the most incredible office buildings. He always built really, really high-end office buildings. And so why has he gone into receivership? Well, uh, I mean there's an awful lot of um I suppose public relations going on here. They said that they've invited the guys to kind of enter into receivership and stuff like that. It's a consensual restructuring is what they're saying. But I can't imagine this was consensual um other than being allowed to call it that for the old press release. But um ronan real estate group or g ronan group real estate or g or e um, that is a development business that is actually continues to perform according to them perform strongly but um, or G or e invited bank of ireland and aib to appoint a receiver to help win the refinancing and uh, this will be interesting to see Like these guys, at one stage, they had 5,900 housing units in planning, and um, they were just massive. In fact, I can remember, they bought the, um, in the UK, in London, they owned the Battersea power station at one stage, and uh, they had just taken control of it. All of a sudden then, 2008 happened, and they lost control of that. But really, very, very colorful, character and uh, incredibly successful developer. And so to hear that he's gone into receivership is just kind of staggering. And it marks, like, I won't say it's the Lehman moment, but I would say that it certainly, when I read it, it kind of felt a little bit like a Lehman moment for for the Irish property uh, market. And I know if you've been listening for a while, you've been hearing me say, the office sector is really struggling at the moment. And then why is it struggling? We've talked about it recently, struggling because COVID changed a lot of habits. People were working from home. Everyone prior to this, everyone in management would have said work from home and remote work is impossible. The experiment was forced upon them and it actually worked in many cases for some technology companies. Now I know a number of firms that are bringing people back five days a week. I know a number of firms who swear it's destroying their their company culture and things like that, but What it has done is it's shaken up the market to the extent that real estate developers that do these big you know, office buildings that sometimes they'll build speculatively and they'll try to kind of get the thing, uh, get a tenant before the financing is complete. But if they don't do that, they might start the building. Just having a hypothesis that the market will continue going strong or whatever. And then suddenly these events come out of nowhere. Now I've talked before about the the four E's and the fact that these things can suddenly come and take you down without you even anticipating them at all. Uh, events and the economy are the two that can kind of take you externally. Now, it's not just Johnny Ronan who we're talking about tonight. We're also talking about a another story that I've seen, which is another red flag in my opinion, and it is it the owner of Brown Thomas and Arnott's is a tycoon, or was, I should say, an Austrian property tycoon by the name René Benko. And he is one of these really flamboyant, colourful characters that are very well known. He's only in his 40s, and yet he managed to create this really massive group that owned... It was sprawling property empire. It owned luxury hotels. It lo- owned luxury brands. It, it I kind of feel like when I read about him, that he was kind of like one of these people that wanted to be Bernard Arnault, the person who owns LVMH. And uh, like to give you an, a list of some of his properties, his highest pro- proper his highest profile luxury properties was. Uh, for example, the Chrysler Building in New York. He owned the London department store Selfridges, uh, and it owns Brown Thomas and Arnott's in Ireland. In in Berlin, he owned like uh, all of this really expensive um, s- streets, you know, these entire streets that basically have all of the luxury stores. And his group was called Cigna, and Cigna had a huge amount of debt in order to fund all of this. And in the same way we're talking about Johnny Ronan there, a lot of these guys, they have a hypothesis and the hypothesis is that things are gonna go strong, the debt will be uh, low interest rate debt and it'll be like that for several years and we'll go and we'll scale up and we'll get to this huge size where we dominate the market and then we'll sell off some stuff and we'll pay down our debt and then we'll get ourselves and we'll add value and all this. And you know this is the kind of thing that lots and lots of people have been doing over the years and sometimes it works you'll have some people they pull it off their hypothesis turns out to be true i think there's a certain amount of luck associated with that but in other cases you get yourself into that situation where you've got a huge amount of debt and then suddenly the market shifts conditions change and you're in a situation where you're now trying to figure out okay i need to get a huge partner to come in and finance this and help me finance and as it turns out he brought in a um, somebody to help him you know overcome these debt problems and the problem is is that the person he brought in was this Thai billionaire I believe and sure enough this uh, uh, Rene could not fix his financing problems and so his Thai partner is now the 100% owner of what were Rene's shares. And so it just shows you that no matter what scale you're at, if you get it wrong, you will be taken down. And it's one of the reasons why I talk about your ego being so important to get control of it. And also just to remember those, you know, those four E's that I talk about, your ego, your emotions, the economy can catch you by surprise and events can catch you by surprise. So you have to be careful. Now, beyond that, what are the other red flags? Well, one of my uh, one of my coaching clients and one of my mastermind members, she wrote to me the other day saying that she's seen a number of things, and it seems like the economy there's, there there seems to be something shifting in the economy. And she said that she had a couple of um, foreign contractors that arrived to go and work in, uh, and they normally would stay in a house that she kind of you know, finds and whatever. These guys were on the next plane, uh, like a few days later, flying back home. They didn't get the work that they expected. And various other sort of insights that she had points to some sort of change in the market. Now, might just be local to her, but I also was speaking to a solicitor friend of mine. And uh, I asked him, you know, are you busy these days? And he says, it's been a very, very busy 11, 10 or 11 months. And he said, I'm hoping it'll quieten down now for Christmas. And he said, but the cases that I am, he's a litigation lawyer. He said, the cases that I've been working on do not bode well for your industry. And I was like, oh, tell me more. And he just said, well, you know, obviously I can't tell you much, but he says that, There's a lot of clients that are asking me to help them recover money from property people, contractors, things like this. And he said that, you know, normally when there is a big lawsuit that goes to the high court or the commercial court or whatever, it's usually for some sort of a performance related issue. And so, you know, there's a genuine set of circumstances there that, you know, you've got one side arguing one thing, you've got another side arguing another thing and, ultimately usually the the two principles can sort this thing out commercially not at the moment and he says just a lot of people being sued for silly reasons and he said it kind of points towards possibly there being financial issues behind it and this would make sense to me because i'm thinking that a lot of these companies in the same way johnny roan and all these others if you're struggling with cash flow if interest rates have caught you by surprise you don't have the money and suddenly you might have started a project and suddenly you know you're a year and a half into the project and interest rates are much higher than you predicted your cash flow has dried up whatever it might be there could be signs of struggle and difficulty ahead so it will be interesting to see but i read the other day about the uk interest rates and um they were saying that something like 17 million people in the uk are on mortgages that are currently fixed and that they will be coming out of their fixed rate and going to the floating the much much higher floating rate over the next 24 months now he said that something like 43 percent of them have not yet moved to that new rate And so that sort of also points towards, you know, a lot of people suddenly finding themselves in difficulty, um, you know, with payments that are much, much higher. So all of this is pointing towards potentially some sort of difficulty in the property market. And uh, I don't know, I think, I often take a contrarian view to this kind of thing. And I think to myself that if we are heading into a property downturn, a difficulty, then i'm not saying go out and buy but i'm saying now's the time that you really need to start studying the market so that you understand it inside out now's the time to start building a profile for yourself as an investor and now's the time to start working on your you know your reputation your hypothesis around investment like if you want to take advantage of lower prices say in a year's time or something like that maybe 2 years time then how are you going to do it unless you have lots of money put aside? How are you going to get that money unless you have investors? Uh, and how are you going to find those investors until you're building, unless you're building a rapport and building relationships with them? So there's a lot of work there, and um, I'm I'm actually I have my accelerator program which actually helps you with a lot of that stuff. I know a few of my clients that have actually done it. We've been talking about it, and we do recognize that this is potentially the time now to start getting busy not buying but preparing for potentially buying at distressed prices that could be around the corner like when somebody like johnny ronan puts his group into receivership some of those assets will be sold and it'll be interesting to see what happens to them like they'll they'll be purchased by somebody and it'll be at a price that is lower than the price that um, they might have been worth maybe a year or two ago I'm also working on something, and this will be my final point before I close up the episode. But I'm launching uh, an accountability group. Now, I spoke about this before, but accountability is one of the biggest things. Like, we all, if you're listening to this and you are in some way passionate about making money, getting successful, you know, achieving great things, it's great to have plans. It's very important. And the mindset is very, very strong as well. But it's really, really important is accountability if you do not hold yourself accountable and if you do not have somebody that can hold your feet to the fire and make sure you're being accountable like you know we all see people you go to the gym and they spend half the time sitting, standing there chatting to friends and stuff like that they're not actually working out you see people that can talk about the business that they're going to create as soon as timing gets you know as soon as timing is perfect well i'll start my business A lot of people will be out there, they talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. And so it's getting accountable on that. And so I'm gonna be launching this thing. Um, Whenever I go into these sort of things, we we usually run them for about 12 weeks. So it'll be 12, maybe 13 weeks, that's a quarter basically. So it'll be starting, what I'll be doing is I'll be signing people up. I'll be doing what I've done before. The way I build my courses is, I have an idea and I create a concept, and the concept will be like a minimum viable product. I will have a course structure, I will have we'll say like a workshop every week or whatever it might be. And the idea is you create a an early bird version of it and you let people in, they get all these like extra things thrown in for free because they're the early birds. They're kind of like test subjects in a way, but they get they get to give me feedback and on that feedback i build you know i refine the product perfectly i will be doing uh, an early bird deal for anyone who's interested in joining this accountability group it will be like anyone who's done my early bird stuff before you know that you get a ton of additional value that uh, later versions won't have and the reason i throw in all that extra stuff is just i want to know what works and what doesn't i want to get the feedback on maybe i throw in you know 10 different things uh but i only intend on actually you know having five of them in the course but you won't know which five to put in unless you throw in 10 and find out which one gets the best response so that's the kind of way i run these things if you'd like to be a part of that let me know and uh, i'm going to be creating a wait list uh it'll be for a you know the week of the first week or the whatever first week of January or so we'll be kicking this thing off. so it'll be the first quarter of the year, will be the first period. I'll probably run it again uh, every quarter after that. but for the people who are interested in the first quarter, let me know. and uh, again, those of you interested in the first part of today's talk about helping me fundraise for the uh, this little kid that got stabbed and and to recognize the heroes. I'd love to hear from you if you have any thoughts on that. So guys, I hope you found today's episode uh, interesting. Um, We'll be back with an interview next week. But um, until then, my friends, remember patience and discipline. Stay grounded and I'll catch you in the next one. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Behind the Facade. If you have any questions or topics you'd like me to cover in future episodes, please connect with me via the Facebook group that is called Behind the Facade Community. Alternatively, you will find me on social media. My handle is Gavin J. Gallagher. You can stay up to date with all of my content and the various projects I'm working on over on my website, gavinjgallaher.com. And while you're there, please do add your name to the Join My Tribe thing over on the right-hand side. This will ensure you're kept up to date via my weekly newsletter. All of these links are in the show notes below. That's all for now. I will see you guys in the next episode.